0: Hello, you're watching Global Investor on Business Day TV. I'm Stephen Gagnon. Nick Kunzer from Bridge Stockbrokers in studio to guide us through all that's happening on global markets. Later in the show, we'll also be joined by Yolanda Nodia from Citadel to discuss her global equity H4 fund of funds. All that coming your way shortly. First, though, a quick look at what's been making the headlines. Well, the resignation of President Donald Trump's top economic advisor, Gary Cohn, has rattled markets. Cohn, who's a free trade proponent, resigned in protest at Trump's trade tariffs, a move that has investors worried about increasing likelihood of a global trade war. Trump's administration has suffered several high-profile resignations, but Cohen seems more consequential, as he was widely considered to be Wall Street's most important ally in the Trump administration. Meanwhile, the EU has warned that if it's not exempt from Trump's steel and aluminium tariffs, it'll go to the World Trade Organization to impose countermeasures. Along with this, the EU also plans hitting the US with a range of punitive tariffs on various goods, including Harley-Davidson motorcycles, Levi jeans and bourbon whiskey. And the European Central Bank has dropped a long-standing pledge to increase bond buys if needed. This sees the ECB taking another small step in weaning the Eurozone economy of protracted stimulus. Let's take a look.
1: We decided to it keep wasn't what was said at this meeting that moved markets as what wasn't, the ECB dropping a long-standing pledge to increase bond purchases when needed. Even as it promised still accommodative monetary policy and left key rates unchanged. An ample degree of monetary stimulus remains necessary for underlying inflation pressures to continue to build up. The euro rebounded above $1.24 on a not entirely expected move, a tiny shift in language enough to indicate a major policy shift ahead, after three years and two and a half trillion euros of asset buying. With that much QE within the system, it's very difficult to, to, to really understand whether the, the economy could continue without it. We still have uh, issues with unemployment, wages, there's a whole lot of issues still within the eurozone. The biggest issue for the ECB, an inflation rate way below a target of close to 2%. Our mandate is in terms of price stability. Victory cannot be declared yet. Inflation to remain subdued in the near term, he said, but nonetheless marking up Eurozone growth forecasts this year from 23 to 2.4%. Markets already looking to future ECB meetings. There is very little need for the ECB to continue to be buying bonds at its current trajectory. So I think the markets will be looking for signs that uh, the ECB will be uh, gradually uh, paring back uh, any expectations of bond buying extending beyond September. Other risks remain, said Draghi, including dangerous unilateral trade decisions. If you put tariffs against what are your allies, one wonders who the enemies are. But by dropping its so-called easing bias, this ECB meeting was a clear signal that if not the end of stimulus yet, its
0: days may be numbered. Nick Kunze from Bridge Stockbrokers joins me now. Um, Nick, just looking at that insert, it looks like the <coughs> markets are taking this in the stride. The fact that they are winding down the stimulus, and it looks like interest rate increases are still quite a way off.
2: Yes, evening, Stephen, and d- that's entirely correct. There, there's, it's it's in, in the statement that uh, Draghi was saying he's a long way off from actually starting to raise rates. And in fact, I- he's been so stubborn for ages. The markets has been looking for him to raise rates, pricing in a stronger euro for the last year at least and he hasn't budged. So it seems like there's so long, and he wants this gradual thing going, this
0: gradual, gradual.
2: And, and, and in fact, inflation has been no insight either, so he's got that behind him too.
0: Well, you talked about the strong euro, and while you have that strong euro, it, it is gonna keep a lid on inflation, isn't it?
2: It is, and, and again, the ECB, like all the other central banks, can't find this inflation that they need. And, and, and this, as you said, the stronger euro is certainly gonna help the cause as well.
0: Do you think the US is getting closer to that inflation level where they're gonna to have to start hiking rates Faster than they have been.
2: I would have, th- I would have thought so. But then you had the jobless numbers out on Friday, and they were unbelievable numbers. I mean, it's it's a, it's a absolute sweet spot. They've got huge uh, uh, potentials with with job creation, uh, and yet wage inflation is nowhere to be seen. And in fact, the CPI numbers are still well within their band. So I don't know when this inflation is going to kick in, but for the mo- for the time being, it's going to ca- this market's going to carry on as inflation is is nowhere.
0: Is, is wage inflation the one to watch in the United States? Because if, if you look at the jobs market where they're almost at full employment, so I think you get to a level yeah. where you are not going to employ th- that last two or 3%. Um, and th- then the market is going to become more competitive for salaries, you would think, and which would then push up wages.
2: It is, and, that, and, that's w- and that's one of the, the things that the Fed has actually highlighted in, in their commentary, is that they're looking for that wage inflation to kick in to, to, uh, until that kicks in. That's why the market ran so hard off the, on Friday off the back of a lack of wage inflation. So it's certainly going to keep them on a little bit on the back foot when it comes to rate rises. But um, ironically, you know, w- with the likes of these trade tariffs, wars and everything else coming, the, the one thing that does kick up is inflation. So we might actually get it, f- of, but not where we're looking for it.
0: How about the tax cuts though that were announced earlier this year, and we've seen the uh, impact of that on some mm. corporates' earnings? Are they likely to be inflationary?
2: I think to a certain extent, although although it even I mean those have already been filtering through. You've had some companies giving money out, uh, giving extra bonuses to staff. You saw the financial services people saying how much it's going to cut off their bottom line, and inflation still hasn't kicked in yet. So, it, it to a certain extent, yes, but once again, it, it, it hasn't reared its head yet.
0: Okay, we do have a Fed meeting coming up, uh, and I think the feeling is that there will be a rate hike at this next meeting, mm. uh, and following that?
2: Yeah, you know, pa- Powell's first uh, meeting, and I think he's going to certainly want to, to stamp his own name on things after after Yellen, um, but the marketplace at the moment is, is pricing, if You look at what the Fed funds rate are implying, implying three rate rises throughout the year, um, and I think the likelihood is there might have been be a little bit too dovish. I think there's a possibility they might do four. And I think Powell in his last statement was actually quite hawkish. So I think the market is maybe a little bit wrong on this one. We might actually get four rate rises this year.
0: Okay, so you talked about how the, the market's liking those jobs numbers mm-hmm. out on Friday. In fact, we had World Stocks at two-week highs. A- and it's the ninth anniversary of the bull market at the moment. Um, any signs of fatigue in the b- bull market, Nick?
2: It, it's such a difficult one. I mean, everyone's been calling a top to this market for months. I mean, I noticed before we came on air, the Dow was up almost 200 points this morning, and it was actually down when we came in. So volatility is here. Everyone's trying to pull, uh, call a top. Um, you know, old, uh, it, sort of bull markets don't die of old age, you know, and they, they, they tend to need some sort of a catalyst to prevent it. I don't know what that catalyst is going to be, but for now, it seems to be steady as you go. Jobless numbers are good. Inflation's under check. Gradual rate rises. A lot of central banks are exiting fairly steadily from their stimulus packages. Um, that so far seems hasn't disrupted the market. So for now, this this could carry on running for a while.
0: And I mean, and stocks do like gradual interest rate increases coming off a low base, but also a fast-growing economy.
2: Yes. And you've pretty much got all of that uh, right now. Th- so the only, the only, th- the only caveat that, that the market has, that the headwinds it might actually have ahead of it, is, is the fact that stocks are just not cheap anymore. And, and everyone used to have that, that whole argument that relative to bonds, stocks were cheap. Well, with bonds close to 3%, stocks aren't cheap anymore. So that, that might be the one that, that puts, a, puts a break on this bull market for now.
0: Uh, and how about a, a trade war? And throwing a spanner in the works as well, Nick I mean do you think we 're likely to get to that trade war because you 've got the EU threatening to go to the World Trade Organization over those tariffs, Um china 's not happy either, as is most of the yeah. East. Do you think this could escalate
2: I think I think we there already i mean you 've already got um, the, the the ECB today shouting at one of the ECB was the European Union coming out today and saying they 're going to put tariffs on on American cars and anything else that comes Harley in. Harley davidsons Levi jeans. Exactly, <laughs> I and mean, where does it stop? Peanut butter, I think, was the other <laughs> one as well. So, so yes, we're there already. And does it help things? No. And in fact, I think, if anything, uh, I think the uh, Bank of International Settlements yesterday, the BIS, came out and said it's going to probably knock about half percent of world GDP if this escalates. So it's not a good thing.
0: Okay. And of course, Gary Cohn quitting as director of the National Economic Council. Mm-hmm. Is, is that's a big blow for Trump?
2: I think it's a massive blow. I think it's a massive blow for his administration. I mean, he was acknowledged, I think, uh, a lot of the, the New York press referred to him as being the sort of the grown-up in the room amongst the Trump administration. And, and they ran the market up on the back of him and his policies and market-friendly policies, etc. And now that he's gone, I think he was one of the last ones left that uh, was certainly set seem to have a sort of a sane view on the markets. So with him not being there, I think it's a massive blow.
0: Okay, and finally at uh, China, uh, voting to change the constitution, taking yeah. out the presidential term limits. So really, Going a step backwards, I would think, for China.
2: No, definitely. I mean, Stephen, this is, this is, you know, we all knew it's, it's still a communist state, but they were showing more and more sort of market-friendly policies, opening up the marketplaces for, for foreign investments, etc. But this can't be seen as a good thing. You know, having one person as a president for life um, is, is certainly going to put a spanner in the works with China. And, it, and it, right now, it looks like an easy-to-help get. Okay,
0: and finally... Uh, you said the market's looking expensive. Mm-hmm. Anywhere that you are seeing value globally, any specific sectors or geographies where, where you are looking around?
2: I think some of the emerging market space has still got some legs to go. Um, look, I think, if th- for, for us, it, it all depends on, on what the dollar's going to do. Um, and we need to see what, what's going to happen. At the moment, uh, it looks like Eurozone Eurozone might still have a, a place for some cash at the moment, still playing a bit of catch-up. America, is, as I said, looking expensive. I guess the EM space, but the problem with that is we need, we need a bit of a, uh, you know, weaker dollar in that environment, but let's see what that does.
0: Mm. A- any particular emerging markets you like?
2: Sub-Saharan Africa we continue to like. A lot, of, a lot of the sort of African economies are coming off a very, very low base. Um, Ethiopia, I see, was growing at 7-8%. Uh, Rwanda still just issued a new bond. They're giving some more interest. So the sub-Saharan Africa space continues to attract lots of funds, and I think that's going to be the one to grow.
0: Okay, Nick, let's leave it there for a moment. We're going to a short break. When we come back, we take a look at the Citadel Global Equity H4 Fund of Funds. That's with you, London Nadir. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're watching Global Investor. Still with me in studio, Nick Kunze, joining us on the line to discuss Citadel's Global Equity H4 Fund of Funds. As fund manager and head of fund research at Citadel. Yolanda Nordea. Um, Yolanda, thanks very much for joining us. So, if somebody invests in the Citadel Global Equity H4 of funds, what are they investing in?
3: Stephen, good evening to yourself, your viewers and listeners. Uh, for investors in this fund, they get, in essence, a style-neutral benchmark-aware global equity fund in which investors can invest with rands, or in rands. So that's the benefit of this fund. You don't have to convert to dollars, you can invest with rands.
0: Why, why a fund of funds, why would an investor go for this rather than going for one of the underlying funds by themselves?
3: We pool the assets uh, of all the individual investors so we have the benefit of bulk assets and we negotiate fairly good fees on behalf of our clients and we give all of that through to clients on the first hand. Um, the other factor that's important is that we can manage specific style risks. So a, an investor can choose any individual fund but then you have to be aware of the specific style, for example, growth or momentum or value style that you are exposed to. In this fund we blend them together in a style neutral way and we are benchmark aware in order to ensure that the fund does not deviate significantly around the benchmark, but that we can give the, the ultimate investor here the asset losses returns over time.
0: Okay, so I mean, there are three main funds um, that, that you're invested in that's Peregrine, Ned Group, and Orbis, and all yeah. of their global equity funds. Do they have significantly different styles from each other? How, how do you go about selecting those managers?
3: Yeah, we have a list of um, around 10 global equity managers that we have approved in due diligence. The the beauty about the Peringon Global Equity Fund or Global Greats, its name has changed, is that it's really a blended fund. It is really blending value growth and a bit of momentum. It is looking for about 40 Fortune 500 type companies. So it's all about strong brands and not necessarily about paying a cheap, cheap price for it. So yeah, with this manager, you do get a little bit of growth and the manager is willing to pay up a bit. And this portfolio ultimately should benefit from a compounding effect over the longer term of these great companies. So that we see as the core of the portfolio. We then blend that with the Orbis Fund. Now, Orbis is not new to South Africans and you know that with Orbis you don't necessarily have a lot of key man risk because it's managed by great teams, both a sector team and a global team and then their portfolio construction teams. Here you get a global diverse portfolio of undervalued and and often in our view contrarian type stocks. And despite that big fee that investors pay if they have outperformed for a prolonged period of time, it it is a fund with a great long-term track record. But it's for the patient investor and for an investor that's alert. And the reason I say that is because over time, Orbis can outperform significantly so by 10, 15, 20, 30 percentage points over rolling one, two, three, and four years, but it can also underperform. So what we do when we manage this fund is we try to avoid the normalization of the excess return. So I'll give you an example. The Orbis Global Equity Fund is outperforming... Over the past two years, by cumulative 20 percentage points, it's phenomenal. The fund has done really, really well. They've benefited from the, the um, IT exposure, et cetera, and some of the FX calls have also come through. For us, that's a wonderful outcome and a beautiful problem to have, but we are now slicing off the top. We are now taking a bit of profit on that excess returns as we see it. And we have introduced an index fund, which will also bring down the total cost of the Citadel Global Equity Fund. So we are careful when we introduce all this into a fund. Be careful of when you go in. Try to get into a fund, into this one specifically when it's underperforming. And then when it has done very well, skim off the top Take a
0: bit of the cream off the top and do something else else with that money. Okay, uh, Nick, your, your your thoughts on the strategy here? So the style-neutral mm-hmm. st- strategy they're aiming for, but also around Orbis and taking money off mm-hmm. that in particularly into the iShares uh, World Equity yeah. Index.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's splitting this day and age with market-neutral is the way to go. I'd a question for you, London though. On uh, London High, just a question regarding um, just on the fees. Um, you know, as active fund managers, we've, we've taken a lot of stick recently with, with the fee structures, everyone piling into ETFs and all the rest yeah. of it, and everyone happy or rather paying as minimum as they can. Um, are, you, are you noticing with, with fund of funds, with, with the layering and the fees, have you had any sort of backlash against it or not?
3: Yeah, we do get resistance to some extent, and that's understandable because it's a, it's a global phenomenon. And South Africa is not escaping it at all. That's part of the reason why after the significant outperformance of Orbis that I'm introducing the iShare for which we pay collectively because we have bulk money, we pay 18 basis points below 20. So that's going to reduce the, the... TIC, the total investment charge of this fund, uh, fairly significantly so over time. So we try wherever we can to get the best possible fee and the beauty of bulking is that we can invest in these underlying funds as institutional investors at a yield or a rate that the individual investor can't invest in. But absolutely, you're right, there's pressure on fees and we are doing everything in our, our power to also reduce fees for the client.
2: And you, you looking again at tr the T-R-E-R down, down to about what?
3: Ultimately, if I can get it down to about below two, I would be happy.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Would, would that be a good outcome, Nick?
2: Yeah. It, 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 yes. I mean, it look. It's obviously um, you know, the TR, what it was of two point five three odd percent, is yeah. is a lot, and it's obviously going yeah. it, to it's going to impact performance as well. I um, mean, half the performances these days with fees, and, and unfortunately, it's it's the it's the talking point of the moment. Everything's about. Yeah, we've been the whipping boys for a while with, with active fund managers everyone moaning about the fee structures. So it's definitely a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: y- Yolanda, your benchmark is the MSCI All Countries World Index. Yeah. Um, and, and you have been lagging that. Is that a, fa- is that a factor of the, the fees that are um, layered onto the, onto the funds?
3: Yeah, if we look at it in um, net terms, over the past year, the fund is 40 basis points behind the benchmark. So if we were to look at that on a growth basis and you were to add the 2.5 to the 6.8, then we would have had nice outperformance. But we have to look at it on a net-of-free basis because that's what the client is ultimately getting. Part of the reason why we have underperformed by 40 BIPs over a one-year period is the um, fact that we had limited exposure to emerging markets. We have had exposure indirectly to emerging markets via the Peregrine Global Great Fund, but it wasn't enough because, as you know, the emerging market equity um, sector as a group have outperformed significantly so over the past year and 18 months. So if we have had a little bit more of that, we would have benefited. And EM emerging market equities aren't expensively priced they're sitting on a PE of around 16 at the moment versus the globe now after the sell-off in FEP at 18 and a half so they're not expensive but they have outperformed so I'm looking for a bit of a pullback in emerging market equity prices and then I'm going to introduce probably an emerging market equity manager in here
0: How, how underweight emerging markets are you relative to the benchmark
3: benchmark it depends on on a day-to-day basis in terms of actual exposures As at the end of February uh, emerging markets were 12% of the MSCI all-country World index and I was at 7
0: okay uh, so talk us through the RAND so this is a RAND based fund investors are investing RANDs and obviously last year was a tricky one when when the RAND rebounded so strongly in the, in the final quarter of the year. And that, that must have held back not only your performance, but also the performance of the benchmark when translated back into RAND. And I suppose that's something that investors just have to deal with.
3: Yeah, um, we fortunately offer another fund, and that is an offshore a global equity fund, H, back to RAND. Now, that is a beautiful asset class because in the hedging, you get the additional 5 55 to 6% depending on the interest rate differential. So that fund has done really great despite the RAND strength. Here, as you mentioned, the index is as much impacted by RAND strength as the fund. And if you look at it over the past 12 months to the end of February, global equities were up about 18 and the RAND strengthened by about 10.8 or 11 percent versus the dollar. So absolutely, yes, a significant portion of the offshore U.S. dollar-based equity returns has been negated by the RAND. But relative to the benchmark, it's not an argument because the benchmark also moved, as you know.
0: Mm. Now, of course, you would be hoping that investors would be coming in while the rand is strong as it is at the moment yeah. because then they can benefit in the other direction:
3: yeah, and we our internal models are now showing fundamental rand fair value at around twelve point eight. At the moment, and this afternoon, we were sitting at 11.80, or the latest that I looked. So, if you take all the economic fundamentals, for example, inflation rate differentials and and um, commodity prices, etc., into consideration, we think the range should be at around 11 uh, about 12.80. So, we do see and think it's a good opportunity for South African investors to still diversify offshore. And invest in a fund of funds like this, where yes, the fee isn't dirt cheap, but we manage the risk for the client around style and around the benchmark, um, very specifically so.
0: Yolanda, how nimble can you be when there are changes in the market to take advantage of? So you said you missed out on the emerging markets rally last year. Are you able to take advantage of something like that, being a fund of funds? Um, Do you have to go to the underlying fund managers to to get them in step?
3: Yeah, easily, because fortunately the fund size is 518 million. So we are Iran. So we're not swamping any of the underlying managers. We can be nimble. And if I want to take a strategic view on an asset class and just go in at the right point, I can go in with an index fund, which is easy. Alternatively, we have emerging market actively managed funds available on our approved fund lists internally, which I can choose from. So I have three choices currently that I can choose from if I decide to invest in emerging markets. I'm really hoping for that opportunity to come because I think there's still an opportunity in EM. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, we were chatting in the first part of the program, Nick, and y- you were also seeing <coughs> opportunities in EM. Would you want to be invested in a fund that has exposure to that?
2: Well, exactly. It's exactly what we're speaking about. You, you said to me, you know, where would you be looking to put money now? My first answer was, was EM. I think um, London's exactly right. You know, the, the, a lot of the sort of uh, uh, the first well, the, you know, the top six countries in the world, are all, they're all looking a little bit expensive. They're not cheap anymore. And, and emerging markets, um, Yeah, they they have they have run a little bit. They're not they're not cheap as they were, but they certainly offer much better value, I think.
0: Mm. Uh, Yeah, uh, in the Orbis and the Peregrine funds specifically, uh, and you chatted about Orbis a little bit, um, but they were cushioned um, by the the strong rand or from the strong rand towards the end of last year, purely due to their exposure to financials, tech, consumer discretionary uh, stocks. Are, Are you seeing more strength ahead? For those sectors where, where are you seeing the value or the the, the opportunities um going going on into 2018
3: at a level is that Stephen? is that the question yes there's there's almost no sector internationally that is cheaply priced anymore and you can understand why because the equity markets aren't cheap anymore after about 10 years of a bull market so it, it will be all about individual stock selection within sectors I think financials may still have some um, tailwind as a result of the tax uh, changes in America. Energy has lagged significantly so, and the oil price has rebounded, so perhaps there's a there. But I'm not a sector specialist, so that's why we allocate to global managers, and we rely on them to survey the world and then look at where, where they find the stocks. And they typically don't look at sector views per se, so it's more of a bottom-up we like a specific stock, and it, it just tends to be in a specific sector. So the sector allocation is almost a bubble up of the underlying stock selections that the managers do.
0: Mm. I mean, lo- looking at some of the stocks that they've included in the portfolio, Nick, you've got Charter Communications, Rolls-Royce, Alphabet still there, despite the, yep. the strength that you have seen there, Airbus, y- y- your thoughts on the, the kind of makeup of those top holdings? Well, f-
2: funny enough, we, we've got an offshore fund as well, which has got very similar to this, so it's the, the usual suspects, but I mean, Rolls-Royce has had a great run recently, um, you know, c- the Alphabet, of course, is with the tech techn- NASDAQ hit a new high yesterday, so... It's a, it's a very well-weighted um, portfolio, and I actually quite like some of these shares. We've got a couple yeah, of them as well. Yeah,
3: I think that the reason also why people will recognize it is all because the Pairing Global Rates Fund is the main fund here with the, the largest allocation, and it is really about those Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. So the, the average investor should be able to recognize these and feel fairly comfortable from, a, from a, uh, at least a, a knowledge perspective in terms of, I've heard about it, I know something about it, that it's not something completely out of the box.
2: I see, just, just, just out of interest, and I see, you did, you, did you exit Berkshire Hathaway?
3: No, it's still, they still the fourth first largest stock. Is it, okay, got us. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, Yolanda, we have to leave it there for just now, and um, hopefully the rand will play in your favour this year, and, and we can chat again in a year's time, but thanks so much for joining us.
3: Big pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. All the best.
0: Thank you. That's the show for this week. Do remember to tune in tomorrow at 10 o'clock when we'll be broadcasting African Rainbow Minerals interim results presentation. For now, though, thanks again to Nick Kunza, Branch Manager at Bridge Stockbrokers; Yolanda Nodia, Fund Manager and Head of Fund Research at Citadel for their insights. Thanks to you for watching. Same time next week. Goodbye.